Well, hello there, and welcome to the Pink Book Wedding Podcast. My name is Marley, and I'll be one of your hosts. In these podcasts, we make it super simple to plan your fairy tale wedding. This is really the easiest way to get the best tips, advice, budgeting tricks, and ideas on the go. We talk to the top wedding industry leaders to give us the inside scoop on what it takes to plan a dream wedding. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Don't worry about taking notes though, you'll find all the important info right here in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pink Book Wedding Podcast to continue following us. Visit pink-book.co.za where you will find a huge community of trusted vendors, tips, ideas and DIYs. So, let's get started with today's episode. I'm up in Joburg on a all-you-can-learn trip about African weddings and with that in mind I have invited Tumi from Roll Weddings to come sit down and chat with me so that we can learn about the differences between African and Western weddings. Welcome Tumi. Thank you, thank you very much for having me. How are you doing today? I'm very well thank you, it's a wonderful day and I'm very happy to be with you. Thanks. Good, good. Do you want to tell us just about Roll Weddings real quick so that we know where you come from? All right. So um, we're a husband and wife duo who plan and style and coordinate weddings, um, traditional weddings, Western weddings, you name it. Um, we sort of fell in love with the tradition of, you know, marriages, that celebration that, you know, comes with a wedding. And um, we decided, you know, let's try and bring something for other couples that we didn't necessarily have for ourselves yeah. when we got married. And yeah, that's how Royal Weddings came about and we're loving it. Awesome. So you mentioned that you didn't have for your own wedding. Yeah. Like what? Um, I certainly didn't have a planner, which was, I think, <laughs> my biggest mistake. Yeah. And at times being OCD and also just like guidelines in terms of, you know, budgeting and mm. um you know, where should I even start looking for suppliers? Yeah. Because it's one thing to do a Google search, but... You, you don't know. really know. Exactly. Yeah, and that's huh. where we try and educate our brides. That's where the planners are so important because they have all the information for you. 100%, absolutely. I mean, they take so much stress out of it. We really do. Um, I think we, we certainly know, you know, in terms of your budget, your character, who are the kind of, you know, suppliers out there, whether it be a photographer or... Um, a baker or, you know, a dressmaker, mm. who's going to fit the look and feel of your wedding and really just bring that to fruition. Okay, cool. So today is all about education and I'm not all that clued up on African weddings and you're the expert. So let's get started. Fantastic. Engagement, because that's where the planning starts, obviously. How long do African couples normally kind of date or, uh, you know, are, are engaged, engaged for? Before they get engaged. Before they get engaged. Yeah. Well, I think that's just dependent on on a couple. Um, I mean, we've we've had brides who have or brides and grooms who have been together for a year and they've decided, okay, this is it. We're going to get married. Mm -hmm. um, we've had people who have known each other for six months. Okay. And I mean, I think that that's just dependent on the relationship. Mm. But from then on, um, there really has to be a discussion between families and certainly between the couple as to when does this dowry get paid so we can get the ball rolling okay we're going to discuss that but let me just let me just ask you first okay um in the western culture 
the guy asks the dad, I want to marry your daughter. I mm-hmm. need your blessing. Is it the same in African weddings? How does that process start or happen before the ring actually is popped out? Okay. So, I mean, I think it's one of the most romantic things that any African couple will go through in that you always have the groom's family that sends a letter. It generally has to be handwritten. No, um, stop. To, to um, the bride's family um, to say, you know, we have seen a flower in your garden and we'd like to pick that flower. Oh, my word, I've got goosebumps. <laughs> it is, it's such a beautiful moment. And I think any parent is, or any, you know, family representatives are happy to write that letter as well as to receive it because it just means that, you know, oh, my child is loved and they're on this new journey, you know. That's and so then after that, you know, the family will respond, the bride's family will respond to say, okay, um, let's set a date and you can tell us more. And from then on, that date is set and the two families will meet where you'll have negotiators, so to speak, from each side of um, the families. Yeah. And then there is, I mean, even before any discussion happens, there's literally something that's called a mouth opener. And I think that that's just loosely oh. translated. Okay. Um, and that it's money to to start any kind of negotiation. Conversation. And it depends. You know, some, some families want to give the groom's family like a really hard time. <laughs> and they'll be like, mm, you know, it's a higher fee or whatever it is. Yeah. So, you know put that down first before we get into any conversation before we talk right right that's cool and everybody's playing off this you know there's really stern we're negotiators here you know Marshall. yeah absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so does the letter come after the groom says okay so i've been dating to me for two years and this is the woman for me we need to now get serious yes 100 okay. percent. so at some point um I think that any groom generally tells his bride that he's interested in being married. Okay. So that letter sometimes is a surprise for the bride, but it's generally been a discussion first. Okay. Where, you know, everybody knows, okay, the letter's coming. It's it's and that in that sense it's like an engagement ring in that you know that you're gonna get engaged, but you're not sure when. Okay. So you know the letter's gonna come but you're not sure when. Okay. You know yeah. how the ring looks, but you don't know when the proposal is happening. 100%. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So now the letter has been sent and things are happening. So let's talk about Lobola. Could you explain it to us? All right. So Lobola is basically a dowry. It is this payment to say thank you for raising um, my wife, for, you know, raising the mother of my future children or whatever it is. Yeah. And, um... That is money from the groom's family that then gets paid over to the bride's family. Okay. Um, you know, I think historically it was always, it was never really monetary value. It was always cows. Yeah. So it's still always referred to as cows. Yeah. Um, you know, cattle is it's quite a big deal in the African community. community. So um, that's what it, it's, it, it represents, you know, this, um, this stock that you can have. For giving away your your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, is it a tacky question to ask normally what amount that is? Or should I not ask? Um, I, I wouldn't say tacky. It's just, <laughs> it's one of those, you know, it's like a, it's top secret. Okay. The negotiators not, know. Okay. Um, and, you know, generally the bride isn't supposed to know. Okay. 
But I know that there have been couples in the past who, you know, they'll they'll give, like the bride will give her family a heads up to say, okay, this is... What's expected. This is what's expected. Um, and then she goes back to the groom and says, hey, buddy. Calm down. This is what you got to pay. <laughs> um, so it's generally not something to be discussed. You just know that negotiations have have happened and it's either paid up in full. Um, some people, some cultures don't pay in full ever. Um, they'll pay 70, 80, even 90% of it. Okay. And that last percentage is never, ever paid for because they feel that, you know, as as family in future, you'll always be relying on me as your son mm. to still provide for you as a family. Okay. So um, some cultures, like Betty people, would prefer that that dowry is paid up in full and then you can get the ball rolling. Okay. Um, some Tosa people feel that it's almost disrespectful to pay all of that money. Um, so, you know, in future, if you need anything from them, you can call Ask. up on them. Yeah. Okay. So the negotiators, is that dads or uncles or who is that dads are generally left out of it okay um it's always generally an uncle all right um or a few uncles um for people who perhaps don't really have extended family in that regard you could call on elders that you know okay um it's generally advised not to have your peers um, they do prefer that negotiations are done with, you know, more mature people older or people. like older people. Yeah. Um, and previously women were never really involved. And now you've got generally like a matriarch in the family who's like, Hey, I'm part of this. That's and, awesome. And it's cool because quite often she's the one that's feared the most. Yeah. But in, with regardless most moms, of which culture I mean, it is. Yeah. Or everyone has that auntie. hundred percent. You're careful. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so uh, when you've paid the labola, then you actually start planning the wedding, but then who pays for the wedding? Well, technically, you are then married. What? Yeah. What? So once the labola is paid, you have you are now married. Okay. Um, traditionally, customarily, you're now married. But then you still have to have the celebration mm. that accepts the bride or the groom into that family. Okay. And that's where the wedding comes in. Yeah. Um, some people will, you know, sort of have that pretty close to Lobola negotiations. So oh. straight after, like a few months later, you're having it. Okay. Some people decide to, you know, to wait a bit to actually, like, afford a lavish affair mm. and they can still, you know, go all out. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's really, it's dependent on, on the couple. Okay. And that's, I think, now almost deemed for the modern bride, so to speak, that that is your engagement period. Okay. Until, you know, you've got a ring on your finger and yeah. you've walked down an aisle or had been accepted or brought into the family. Yeah. Because I know in... Our culture, normally the bride's parents pay for pretty much everything. Um, and then it started becoming a trend where the groom's parents would pay for the alcohol. Right. But more and more I see as, you know, we start making more money and we grow more independent from our parents, we start paying for it ourselves. Right. Um, which leads to smaller weddings in our culture at least. So do you find that... African couples are paying for the weddings themselves or? I think it follows a similar trend in ah. that um, 
historically, you have two days for a wedding. Yeah. So the one day it's at the bride's home and the next day it's at the groom's home. Okay. And each family, literally. That sounds cool. (laughs) So each family would then cover the costs of their respective. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. I Um, I think that now generally you have the bridal couple who obviously very much assist um, in in that, Mm. in paying for whatever it is that they want, but still, you know, observing whichever cultural um, ceremonies or traditions that they have to um, observe. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to talk about traditions in a minute. Let me just ask you, if I could, Mm -hmm. what is the average budget for an African wedding look like? Let's say you're doing the two-day bender, big party. Right. Um, I think that realistically about between, you know, 80 and a hundred thousand rand okay. um, is what you're looking at. Um, and again, it depends on where you're having it, um, what it is that you're wanting, you know, uh, catering budgets are a little bit more packaged mm-hmm. as opposed to at a venue where, you know, you have your canapes that are priced per canapé or yeah. per tray. Yeah. Um, at home, you're not necessarily because traditional weddings are generally at home. Yeah. So you've got like a marquee that's set up, and you know you've got aunties and uncles who want to do the catering and all of that. Okay. So in that regard, I mean, perhaps you're not even paying for that, and they've decided we'll contribute to that. Um, we'll go out and we'll source all the food that needs to be cooked, and everybody's going to then get stuck in. Pitch in and out. Exactly. Mm. Um, but sometimes you want a catering company, and there's a package deal for 300 guests, for 400 guests, for 500 guests. Okay. Yeah. Um, so with the the couple who are getting married at a venue who aren't doing the traditional two-day at my home and at your parents' home thing, how would that budget look? Do you know? I think it, it tends to be a little bit more. Yeah. And that's also because, you know, they want that whole Western... Mm. wedding Mm. experience where um, it won't just be a white gown, Mm. white bridal gown. They will, the bride will generally also change into her own traditional attire. Yeah. Whether she's Betty, Sutu, Zwana, whatever it is. And then the following day, there will still be the groom's um, side of the family accepting the bride into, into their home. And she'd have to change from her traditional attire into this yeah okay interesting um with the big budget african wedding that veers more to the western in inverted commas Mm -hmm. western idea of a wedding you know going to a venue and the big catering bowl and all of that can we talk about that kind of wedding because i've seen a lot of those weddings where the the brands are quite well-known big brands you know the bride in the jimmy chews and the champagne's verve cliquet and i mean that's a lot of money i i think that um the modern bride so to speak regardless of which culture or tradition you're from yeah wants to experience um the white gown Mm. you want to experience hair and makeup and shoes and the champagne flowing and you know it's now a who's who of who's on the guest list. And, you yeah. know, um, if you can afford it, you're certainly going to go all out. Yeah. Um, you have people who 
who want to show everybody, you know, what champagne is being served and that it's flowing and that, you know, it's not going to stop. Yeah. So whether it's a Veuve Clicquot or a Moet or whatever the case may be, yeah. or even Cristal, yeah. you know, um, people will tend to do that, um, especially if it's, if you're given the opportunity to have yeah. that Western wedding experience, yeah. which is always going to be a big song and dance. It's a huge celebration. Yeah. You know, there's nothing ever reserved about it. Yeah. It's a go all out affair. Yeah. One lavish night. hundred percent. Really yeah. swanky. Yeah. So you mentioned the traditions a couple of minutes ago, and I want to revert back to that because I have no idea, but I do know there are some traditions. So could you elaborate in the wedding sphere what traditions there are, like do's and don'ts and that kind of thing? Right. So, um, sure. There's quite a few. Yeah. And I think with each culture and certainly with each family, they do things differently. Okay. So you could find that off the top of my head, um, <laughs> like a petty bride would literally have to go and fetch water for her groom or and his family. Okay. So you'll go to a nearby river, and this is really traditional. Yeah. You'll go to a nearby river, and you literally have to carry like this bucket of water, not spill it and bring it back to the groom's home. Okay. You know, or, or to even your, your family home to wash his feet or to make tea or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, the attire is definitely different. Um, I find that lately the trend is to still have your traditional attire, whether it's colorful or beaded or whatever it is, but with a very modern and Western, tw and Western twist. Mm. So um, you could have this beautiful white gown, but you still have these pops of color that are like yellow and pink and orange and red and just something really vibrant mm. um and it also it, it really depends there's some things that every family will keep you know behind closed doors um the bride and groom have often sat down by you know the elders to say this is what marriage is about this is what is expected of you um as a bride the makoti you have to do x y and z for your husband and as the groom, you really, you have to provide for your family and you have to provide for your wife and you have to protect them. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, but as a, as a blanket thing, um, yeah, you generally have the families being told or them telling their, the bride and groom what's expected of them. And there's always a gift exchange. That's a big deal for the bride's family to give, gifts to the groom's family and it's generally immediate family where it's it could it could be a range of things from alcohol to groceries to blankets to jackets and hats and, mm. and, and all that kind of stuff um and likewise with um with the bride's family they've accepted this dowry so you know the gift is done for you you've got it you. yes pretty much so okay and um, there's also you know slaughtering yeah and the slaughtering of this animal this beast is really that that bloodshed is to literally combine families you know join uh -huh. the two families together yeah um you'll often find that the bride's family because their wedding is first they'll give the hind leg of whatever it is that they've slaughtered to the groom's family 
um, that's often a big deal and you've got uncles fighting over who's going to keep the meat. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, meat is expensive, so I get that. Yeah. I would also fight. <laughs> I have heard that compiling a guest list for sure. a traditional African wedding can be a complicated thing. Could you tell us why? Well, two reasons. Okay. One, nobody is ever to be excluded. Okay. <laughs> And two, if you're having it at home, because you have basically an unlimited guest list, so to speak, um, you have a marquee that's set up or a tent that's set up and there's going to be tables and chairs, but there's not going to be enough tables and chairs for everybody. Mm. So you have your select few, of maybe up to 100 people under this marquee and everybody else is, you know, sort of parked off around the tent Spilling and they still out. exactly yeah there's this beautiful spill out of people everywhere yeah everywhere <laughs> everywhere so in that regard you know invites will be sent out to a few people um but your actual guest list is really really unlimited you're going to bring in everybody because african people firmly believe that it takes a village to raise a child yeah and you're never going to exclude anybody from that experience because i so, helped raise you 100 percent. i see I so see. it's always the community mm. um obviously friends and family mm. your colleagues really it's a massive celebration yeah you yeah. used to be my best friend in kindergarten you can come along <laughs> <laughs> i haven't seen you in 10 years but hey i'm getting married <laughs> but that complicates catering doesn't it it does but there is generally an expected number oh. so you you'll have a guest list of 200 people yeah but quite often that guest one guest will bring two or three people with them what? so it's not a plus one it's a plus two a plus three a that plus gives four me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> so right. um so you generally you can you can tell um, if you're going to have a wedding for 200 people, you know you're catering for 300. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like there would be more if if one person is bringing two or three extra potentially, people. <laughs> potentially. Um, and I've never, ever, ever heard of a wedding where the food ran out. Oh, well. So then... you're, between you and your caterer, you generally know what you're expecting. Okay, then there's no problem. No. Okay, cool. What is on the average menu then? When we're talking about catering, what's on the average menu for a traditional African wedding? Oh, there's so much and so delicious. Um, it depends from a starch perspective yes. <laughs> what um, what the families have. Okay. So you'll have like your your suit to people who want um, bohobe batin, which is... <laughs> I don't know that. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> Which is, it's almost like a sour porridge. Okay. okay. Um, uh, some people want, you know, steamed bread, this dumpling that's mm. go, that gets served. Some people want samp. Um, some people obviously want pap as well. Um, some people want a potato salad or potatoes uh, stewed up in something, you know. Mm. Um, you've got chicken, you've got lamb you've got a beef stew like there's a whole lot whole of lot. a whole lot that happens you've got salads and stews and whatever else um there isn't really like a, a starter and a main and dessert and because, you, you know i yeah. mean it's a huge meal which will have dessert and there'll be cake okay and what is for dessert then 
Wow. <laughs> um, it depends. I think it generally is something simple like, you know, a fruit salad and ice cream mm. or like a malva pudding or, or something to that Who effect. Who doesn't love a malva? Let's right? be honest. Right, let's be honest. Love it. That goes a long way. Oh, yeah. I've also heard, and please help me if I'm incorrect, but it is acceptable for the guests to bring their own alcohol. Is this true? It most certainly is. I mean, that's cool. So, again, um, depending on where, the, where you're having your wedding, yeah. if it's at home, then absolutely. If it's at a venue, then you generally yeah. tell your guests, hey, guys, you can't do that. Not um, this time. Not this time. Um, but when it's at home, everybody comes along with their cooler, cooler box and it's stocked up. Liquor. And as much as the bride and groom have also provided for their guests, everybody else, because, you know, you've got your plus four. Five million or, people. Or plus five <laughs> or whatever it is. You know that you're going to be at some point, you know, chilling and dancing around and whatever it, the case may be. But you've got your own stock side stash. Ready for you. Yeah. Awesome. A bridal party. I don't know if this is a thing in a traditional African wedding, but... We always have your bridesmaids and your groomsmen right. in a Western wedding. Is this something in a traditional African wedding? Yes, 100%. Okay. Um, I think historically or traditionally it was always just family. Yeah. Um, but along the way, you know, we've changed and you've obviously got your friends along with you, you know, yeah. at your side um, for both bride and groom. Um and it's always, um, I think when it comes to bridesmaids, it's the same stress everywhere. You know, <laughs> what are they going to be wearing? Who's doing hair and makeup and all that jazz? Yeah. Um, but no, we certainly also have a, a, a retinue. Okay. And it's pretty much a, a, a trend thing to have a really large retinue of like. I just wanted six, to ask how big. Six bridesmaids. Okay. And like seven groomsmen. And it's never necessarily like an. Equal. An equal number. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I've recently looked at a wedding uh, that we put onto the Pink Book blog that was done at Val de V, and I think there were eight bridesmaids and eight groomsmen. It was crazy, but it looked lovely. It's so gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. And, I mean, the stress behind it all is really for the planner and the poor bride at times, yeah, which is shame. unfortunate. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but it really is lovely to have a large retinue. Um, yeah. but some people want to keep that intimate to say, I want one or two people standing at my side. I want my sister and my cousin, or I want my cousin and a friend or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about fashion, something all girls love. Right. How does the fashion differ in the African culture? I mean, I know you mentioned pops of color on a white dress mm -hmm. and I'm a huge fan of shwe shwe fabric right and I really wanted to do shwe shwe ties for my groom and his groomsmen but I couldn't find the fabric and I couldn't find it and oh, I was dear. devastated <laughs> um, but so in a traditional wedding how how do they pick their outfits the bride <laughs> naturally as per usual <laughs> um so I, it, it also depends on what culture you are. Like yeah. your Sutu people have the shwe shwe. That's yeah. a big deal. Um, Indabele people have their own thing. We're also really bright colors, yellow, blue, red. You've got um, these really huge statement pieces around the neck. Mm. Um, 
the baby bride has an array of colors. I mean, she's basically a rainbow walking down the aisle. Yeah. Um, you've got your closer bride who has, um, you know, these white dots that are painted on her face, all symbolic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but when it when it comes down to the attire, it depends on what your tradition is and what your culture is. Okay. Quite often now, um, you have a traditional bride who wants to put a twist on that and mm. really make it modern. So bringing in that whole white bridal gown element somewhere along the way. Yeah. There's never really a veil. Um, I just your, wanted to ask. Your, your, your face has to be seen. Yeah. Um, but at some point you can have your hair or your head covered. Okay. With so, like a head piece. With a head wrap or whatever yeah. the case may be. Yeah. Okay. Who brings the bride in? I don't know if this is a silly question. If I mean, if it's at home, are you brought in? Are you escorted in? You are. You are given away, literally. So it's generally your parents who will hand you over to both parents. Both parents. That's so lovely. your 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 mother and father would then give you away to the groom. Yeah. Um, the groom has his entourage of family, groomsmen, the whole shebang, also standing with him, but it's never necessarily a matter of you're literally walking down an aisle yeah. and you know you're going to be here comes the bride literally you yeah. know i mean it's walking and there's ululating and singing and everybody's celebrating and it's it's really really festive and you get handed over to your bride it's to your to your groom sorry and it's quite an emotional moment it sounds lovely it is very lovely I was looking at my questions and then I had another thought, so I'm going to veer off. Okay. Because I watched a TV show, I don't even know, it's something that was on DSTV where okay. they had four weddings in an episode. And the one was a traditional African wedding where the other three contestants had to go to the other weddings. Right. Um, and so they were waiting for the bride. And apparently it's normal to wait four hours. Is this true? Um... Is it true? <laughs> Trying to be PC here. <laughs> you know, fashionably late and African time. Okay. Um, when it comes to the African bride, there is no concept of time. Okay. And I think that that's why it's so important for you to, to still have a planner and a coordinator. Because as much as your guests know that this is your day, you also don't want to disrespect them and have them waiting for hours on end. Yeah. So... If you're a couple of minutes late, yeah, sure, fine. But generally the norm is, unfortunately, if you've written 12 o'clock on an invite, people are going to start rocking up at 1 o'clock. What? So you've got to make sure that your caterers know that the invite says 12, so everybody's going to be there at about 1 o'clock so we can serve lunch between like one thirty two kind of a vibe. Yeah. That's so interesting. It's very, very interesting. Hectic, but... um. A little bit hectic. But everybody, nobody ever expects an African bride to be on time. Okay, so Ideally, it's just an you accepted want them thing. To be, it is an accepted thing. Okay. Um, still disrespectful on, on either on either side, yeah. but um, because you know that you're not going to really get started if you've got 10 people. Yeah, no, you have to wait for sort the crowd, of waiting. obviously. Yeah, you've got to make your entrance. Yeah, if the custom is to come an hour late, you have to wait for all your guests, Literally. naturally. Yeah. Gifting, I mean, we all love a good present. 
And I know that gifting for the Western Bride is a big deal. We set up registries and, you know, you have a couple of options of different registries and mm-hmm. you kit out your entire house. Right. Is this the same or is it a monetary gift? Do people give gifts to the bride and groom? They do. Um, again, historically, you never had a registry. Mm. That was just not, yeah, not thought of, you know. Um but you certainly got gifts, um, also for the home, you know, for the couple. Um, but now you certainly have brides who have a registry at a number of places or mm. somewhere online where, you know, they don't have to. Your your guests don't have to worry about the delivery of it all and yeah. you know carting it around yeah. and all that jazz. Um, but gifting is still a big deal in that regard. Um, okay. You should bring a gift for the bridal couple, and quite often guests do. Okay, good. Because, I mean... I mean, you're at a wedding. Right. (laughs) Do African couples... Oh, I don't know if some of these questions are pushing it too far. I feel... But I need to know. So far, so good. I have questions. Do African couples also go on honeymoon directly after the wedding? Um, And if they do, where is a... Like, I don't want to say traditional, but I know the trend now for... The Western couples is Mauritius or Thailand. That's what we do. It's just part of it. Ditto. Oh, really? (laughs) Okay, good. So it's the same. So it's pretty much the same. And obviously, like, couples will decide what their budget is, where they want to go. Um, Some people leave it for a couple of months and then they'll go on, like, a a longer honeymoon Mm. and make a real big holiday out of it as opposed to... couple of days of like you know downtime or whatever yeah um we always advise our couples that you know like having planned the wedding it's been great it's been a wonderful celebration but you also just need that time to you know reconnect and relax after your wedding so by all means go on a honeymoon um but it really depends on on some people's budgets yeah. You'll find that quite often they'll leave it for a bit, maybe even a year, and for their anniversary, then they decide to go away. Mm. But the norm is, you know, you'll go away a couple of days after your wedding. Yeah. Well, as our listeners know, because I talk about my wedding all the time, <laughs> I went on like a kind of cheat honeymoon. We, right? we only went to the coast for, I think, four days or five days after the wedding. But that, we didn't count that as our honeymoon. That was, was your mini-moon. Yeah. And then we waited almost a year. Now I'm lying. Maybe? Yeah, almost a year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. A year and a half. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. Um, and then we went to Europe, but for four weeks. Right. And we could save the money. And I think I'm a, a big advocate for that, that kind of holiday. Right. Um, because it feels like a waste to me to go away on an international trip for five days true you've got you've really got to experience it and go all out and i think it's pretty much the same trend or a similar trend for african brides yeah um although i find that african brides generally or or african couples they Mm. generally like south africa they would want to explore South Africa that much more. Like a local moon. So a local mini moon or even a honeymoon, whatever yeah. the case may be, is always on the cards. Yeah. Um, even if it's a day or two in Cape Town and then another day or two in, in Durban or whatever the case may be, mm. and then you'll fly out to your Mauritius, your Thailand, your Phuket, whatever the case is. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. 
I love how different the cultures in our country is and how much we have to learn from right. each other. And I've really seen that we take on aspects from other cultures, like me trying to bring in Shui Shui. 100%, yeah. Um, and I, I know, or I think I know, that the whole marquee tent idea with weddings started with the African culture because you had it at home and no one has place for 300 people. (laughs) So that's where the marquee tent thing started and now we've adopted it as well and we don't go to the Ingeerkerk and then to the, you know, town hall, whatever. (laughs) Now we have outside weddings with a beautiful tent and that's something we have adopted from the African culture. Do you have any other kind of cool examples where we've kind of borrowed or stolen or... I think that the world over, everybody wants to borrow an element of something. Yeah. Um, you know, I find that quite often you've got um, destination brides who come from overseas. Yeah. Um, generally, your Europe who come to South Africa and they want a really African experience. Mm. So they may be in some five-star lodge, but their cake needs to be really traditional, like, mm. you know, like little elephants and whatever else sort of around this, you know, like a beautiful sunset coming, cascading off of a cake. I cringe um, a little. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> because you also don't want to make it tacky. Yeah. Um, but again, it's what it's what the couple it's what they wants, want. you know. Um, so when it comes to cakes, yes. Um, jewelry is a big part of it as well. Statement pieces. Yeah. Um, I've seen um, some beautiful white brides or Western yeah. brides who have these massive, you know, statement pieces on their wrists even walking down the aisle. And that's always lovely. I mean, who doesn't like jewellery? Yeah. Yeah. Always. Every girl. (laughs) (laughs) And certainly the uh, the shui shui print, um, table runners and and things like that. Yeah. um, That's a big deal. Yeah. And I think it's going to get even bigger um, because I've seen there's quite a well-known, internationally well-known, but local designer who has been using Shui Shui fabric for his entire new line. Yeah. So I think it's not even just in South Africa, but globally we're going to start seeing more of that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you just look at runways and you can see this whole African um, element that comes into play. Yeah, it's so exciting. Big blankets, big jewellery. Yes. um, Yeah, all that kind of stuff. I just realised that the blanket scarf is completely an African thing. Mm Mm-hmm light bulb moment (laughs) (laughs) this has been so informative and so much fun i'm so glad thank you love talking to you so much fun um could you just tell our listeners where they can find you sure um we've got a website www.realweddings.co.za we're on instagram and facebook and twitter and you can find us basically under the name real weddings as well and that's r-i-l that's r-i-l yes it's our initials how cute. <laughs> I see you're very active on Instagram, so I, th- I could recommend that as Fantastic. a place to start. Absolutely, To see yeah. what you can do. By all means. Thank you so much to me. This has been lovely. Thank you. So, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Pink Book Wedding Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to our industry expert and that you've learned some insider tips and tricks to help you make your wedding planning so much easier. Don't forget to head over to the blog at pink-book.co.za to collect all the show's notes and important links. And remember to subscribe to our wedding podcast to stay up to date with all the newest episodes. See you next time.